Good morning. We want to uh, encourage you, if you did not bring your own physical Bible, to go ahead and use your phone and have the Bible app ready for those of you at home as well. Um, go old school like me, right, and get your physical Bible out, Galatians 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 21, just as Susan read uh, for us. Um, and just want to encourage you as we begin our time together in God's Word to we're trusting the Lord that he's going to speak to us. We're trusting the Lord that he's going to uh, nudge us towards himself uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to open up God's word to us. And we know that we have, obviously we have uh, several people here. We got about 50 folk here on, on the patio, which is fantastic. We know there are hundreds more online will be watching this. And isn't that great that we can continue to worship the Lord in all these different ways and as we dig into God's word this morning Let's see what the Lord has for us. So what we've been doing, just to give you a little reminder, we've been learning about the gospel in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, this gospel that gives us peace, that we are in good standing with God because it's his righteousness that brought us salvation. So we get to serve him on this earth until he returns. And we have the security, the security that the best is yet to come for those of us who trust in Christ's work on the cross. It's his work. It's not ours. It's not our work. It's not our efforts, but it's his finished work. See, we're all too sinful to have merited any of God's salvation. And so actually, this is really, really good news that we couldn't earn God's love, which means that we cannot lose God's love. Now, if you jump to verses 15 through 16, we'll be reminded by Paul why he had to go to Jerusalem, just to remind you as well. I think this is actually referencing a visit that you can find in Acts chapter 11, verses 29 through 30, prior to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Um, and so here's the issue here. Did these non-Jewish Christians need to add Judaism to their practice, as some false teachers were saying was required? See, Paul's worried uh, that the apostles in Jerusalem may not stand up to these false teachers, and so who put Judaism before Jesus. And so what Paul does, this is what we learned about last week, he brings a non-Jew, Titus, a believer, to make a point. Uh, he puts him in front of the key Jewish leaders, and they don't require Titus to get circumcised or add any Judaism to his life. Peter, John, and Barnabas basically sign off, and they pass the test. No, non-Jewish Christians don't have to add Judaism in order to be close to God. And so they ultimately affirm Paul's perspective, and they don't require Titus to add any of these things. And so Paul's visit to Jerusalem is this incredible success. It establishes great truth that along with Apostle Peter and his blessing, that it's the gospel is just Jesus plus nothing. You don't need anything else. And so you think everything's great, right, Pastor Tim? Well, fast forward one week. Here we are in chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11 says this, ben, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And later in verse 13, you read about Barnabas also goes back on his word. So even after Paul had patched everything up, supposedly, with Peter, James, and John, and the others in Jerusalem, a new conflict rose, this time in the city of Antioch, a Gentile city north of Jerusalem that had both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And so Paul is referring to a new conflict in the church. Isn't that fun? You may have heard a story 
of a Christian standard, stranded on a desert island for many months entirely alone. Eventually, a passing ship picks him up. And as they're leaving, the captain asks, says, what are those three huts on your island? And the guy who was just rescued said, well, that hut, that's my house. And then that's my church. And then the captain asks, well, what's the third hut? And the guy says, oh, that's my previous church. <laughs> Conflict will always follow every ministry because there's humans involved. Even in biblical times, right here, look at this Bible. Conflict amongst believers. This is nothing new. Now, of course, because God brings salvation to imperfect humans like you and me, there will continue to be conflict because we're imperfect, even though God is perfect. Now, verse 11, though, it's startling uh, because uh, Peter, instead of standing with Paul like he did in Jerusalem, now Paul has to stand against Peter in Antioch. It's conflict. Paul makes it clear that Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and even his companion Barnabas in verse 13 gives into these false teachers their pressure to, confer, to conform to the tradition of adding Judaism to Jesus. Peter was not living in line with the gospel, the gospel of Jesus plus nothing. In verse 12, it says, certain men came from James, the circumcision party. Now, you never thought you could use the word circumcision and party together in one sentence, but there it is right there in the Bible. Now, we don't know if it was actually James who sent this party, this representatives of him or not. We don't really know. It's but supposedly they're from the, the James party, the circumcision party. But we do know they represent a faction that believed, these are Jewish believers that believed that non-Jews like Titus shouldn't have gotten off so easy when he came to Jerusalem. He has to become more Jewish. They have to add more religious laws. They must follow the Torah, just like we do, us good Jewish first Christians. There's a conflict. But ultimately, what's going on is an outright rejection of these believers. Verse 12 uh, Paul says that you know, Peter separated himself. Literally, it can be translated that Peter Phariseed himself. Very interesting. He Phariseed himself because, verse 12 says, he feared them, the, the James party, the more legalistic party, the ones demanding that Christians need to add more things. Paul calls Peter and Barnabas' actions, in verse 13, hypocrisy, fakers. Mass wearers, actors, you're one person back in Jerusalem. He said all these nice things that we were good. And now when things get tough, you abandon us. So here's the thing. Even a spiritual giant like Peter could give in to fear and hypocrisy. Even a spiritual giant like Peter could go back on his promises out of, the Bible says, fear and become a hypocrite. See, P Peter failed to live in line with the gospel. He is living, as some people call it, a practical atheist. I mean, he believes in God. He's a follower of Jesus, but he's a practical atheist. Someone who believes all the right things about God, but whose actions contradicts his own orthodox, proper biblical beliefs. He's a practical atheist. It goes against God's true gospel of Jesus plus nothing. So we ask the question, why is Peter, who knows the true gospel, not living according to it? Why is he giving in? I've already given the hint. Peter was fearful. 
Peter ended up being a hypocrite because he gave into the fear. I want to ask you, because we're not unlike Peter, are we? Have you ever not done something you knew was right because you were afraid of confrontation? No one really likes confrontation. Some of us are better at confrontation than others. But have you ever avoided doing the right thing because you were afraid you wanted to avoid confrontation? See, avoiding conflict can become an idol because, you're, because that is what you're serving by remaining comfortable. Comfort is more important than being obedient. So even fear and confrontation can become an idol. Perhaps Peter allowed the idol of comfort to rule his life, that he was insecure and he wanted to avoid the discomfort of associating with the Greeks, the Gentiles, the non-Jews that some of his Jewish Christian friends disapproved of. What makes you uncomfortable? Is there a certain type of person that you avoid? Perhaps spending time with people who look different, have a different background, uh, have a different interest or different theology, maybe those things make you uncomfortable. The gospel reminds us that all who are in Christ are already loved by God, so we should start getting in line with God's heart, that we'll be spending eternity with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, so let's start learning to love each other even with our differences now. That's the opportunity, and guess what? It's uncomfortable and even maybe fearful sometimes to love brothers and sisters in Christ who look different than us, who who act different than us, who vote different than us, who have different theology than us at times. How can we find ways when we focus on Jesus plus nothing else, the true gospel, to bridge these gaps? Let's not make the mistake of allowing discomfort to be our master instead of following Jesus, our true master, our true leader, our true guide, our Lord. Paul confronted them, verse 14, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. They were not living in line with the gospel that they believed correctly in their head. They're being practical atheists. If you are obedient this year to face a fear, I want you to pause and think about this for a moment. Face a discomfort that God is making you aware of. How would your life look different a year from now if you face this thing? It might look like a giant mountain to you or it might be something very small, but is God making you aware of a struggle, a fear, a discomfort that he's putting on your heart and putting on your mind that if you faced it with his power, his help, how would your life be different a year from now? You see, at the intersection of our discomfort and a step of faith, we often find God's blessing and his plan is revealed. It's the intersection though taking a risk, taking a step of faith, facing a fear, and taking a step. Often we find God's plan. See, where might God be stretching you? Look at what makes you uncomfortable. Take a risk and invite someone to worship. That's a risk. Take a risk and invite them to watch it with you online. That's a risk. There's many other ways that God might be prompting you to take a risk, a step of faith, as you live in line with the gospel, to not give in to fear, to not be a practical atheist. See, wherever you are worried might be where God wants you to grow. See that the things you worry about is prayer opportunities. It's exactly where God might be stretching you to take a risk, to trust him. 
I want to take a look at verses 15 through 21. This, I'll just say it ahead of time. I could do entire sermons just on each one of these verses. Let me give a big picture thing here. Verse 16. Paul says, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We hear this again and again and again. You can hear this in Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. You're going to hear this same wonderful message. Martin Luther highlights and calls justification, that big fancy word, the most principal and special article of Christian doctrine that makes true Christians indeed. If the article of justification is lost, then all true Christian doctrine is lost. So for those of you taking notes, in this section, you see the verb justified. It's used four times just in this section. And then in verse 21, it's used as a noun, the word justification. So you see this idea of justification is a big deal, especially in this section. It's this very rich word that relates to the idea of being declared righteous, declared right. Everything's all right with this person. This person is all good in modern nomenclature. God declares that someone is in right relationship with him when someone is justified. But here's a point I want to make. There's a difference, a difference between someone being forgiven and someone being justified. Let me highlight the differences by sharing something from Tim Keller. Tim Keller says forgiveness is like getting a pardon so that you're out of jail and now you have the freedom of not being afraid you know that somebody's going to come around and arrest you and put you back in jail. That's forgiveness. It's like a pardon. But justification is so much more than that. More than that. It's not just a pardon from jail. It's more like getting a congressional, congressional medal of honor bestowed upon you so that everyone salutes you when you walk by. And now you have access with this great honor of, of these different circles of admiration, of acclaim, and honor. See, justification is far more than just getting forgiven. You're receiving an honor, which we know in the Bible's sense is undeserved honor, unmerited honor. Not just forgiven, but justified I'm going to show you a picture of this man, Archie Williams. You may have heard the story. Go ahead when you go home, or those of you at home, you're probably doing it right now, Googling Archie Williams. It's worth it. He was incarcerated for 37 years for somebody else's violent crime. He was freed just last year because of fingerprint evidence that proved, without a shadow of a doubt, his innocence. 37 years when he's been interviewed, how did you survive knowing you're innocent? 37 years, says the Lord prayer. God. God gave me hope. Recently, he auditioned on this well-known show, Americans Got Talent. He's an amazing singer. He sang throughout his years in prison, leading worship, leading prayer, knowing that he was wrongfully imprisoned and convicted. He never lost hope. See, he auditioned. I'll, I'll break the news story to you. He didn't win all the money, but oh man, he won the hearts of America. This man who was wrongfully convicted and after 37 years finally freed, pointing to the Lord as his one hope. Archie was declared innocent by the courts and now he is known as someone who inspires. And I show you his picture and share that story 
because the cross is the great exchange where what does Christ do? He takes on your sin, just like we prayed earlier. He becomes sin, the Bible says, for you on the cross. And when he does an exchange, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you the congressional medal of honor. He says, blame me and award them all of my perfection. It doesn't make sense. But that is justification. It's not just that you're forgiven and you get out of jail. God proclaims Christ's righteousness upon you. You get rewarded with all of the things that Jesus earned that you didn't. It's not just forgiven. It's justified. That's the great exchange. Not just declared, not guilty, but awarded the highest honor. You are a child of God. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. You will live with him for eternity beginning now. Your life will be blessed and will never end in Christ. That is the great exchange where Christ takes our record of sin and gives you his record of perfection. Justified. Oh, relish in that. If you hear anything this morning, just relish in that reality. That's who you are in Christ. See, in verse 20, it's about really a new identity in Christ. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear these words of love? Is this something you could relish in this morning? You see, the law was a burden. It was a burden that even the most religious of Jews couldn't carry. Paul included, Peter included, Barnabas included, none of them could carry it. But God poured out his unearnable, unlosable love that will never extinguish. Oh, this is life in Christ. But it must be received, as verse 20 says, through faith. Justification by his grace through faith. See, the heart of Paul's gospel, the one simple gospel, is that when you When we put our trust in Jesus, what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. Let that sink in. When you put your faith in him, his perfect record becomes yours. Anyone right with God can't claim it's because of what they've done, but only because of what Christ has done. As we just sang, yet yet not I, but Christ in me. Oh, what words. Let that song resonate in your heart this week flow through your mind. Go home and watch Archie Williams and read that story. Go home and play that song. Yet not I, but Christ in me. You have a new identity because your old life is dead, verse 20 says, and now you're alive in Christ with his record, his perfect record. Because we've been crucified with Christ, we can rest in our new identity. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. Christ has absorbed all of our imperfect record and has made a way back to him. See, often we don't remember who we are in Christ. We forget to relish in this reality of who we are, this new life in Christ. It's a true story. A wealthy heiress died at 104 years old. May we all be blessed with that kind of longevity. And left, hear this, a 300 million estate largely to her lawyers and her caregivers. My name is spelled Timothy James E, by the way, if you'd like to add anything. But anyway, but 19 million of the inheritance belonged to a long lost heir named Timothy Henry Gray. 
When lawyers tried to locate the 60-year-old heir to share the good news, they found only a storage locker with his abandoned belongings. Some boy sledding in Wyoming in the wilderness found Gray's lifeless body under an underpass. What happened, you might wonder? Well, there wasn't any foul play, but rather Gray had been living as a homeless transient, unaware that $19 million awaited him. He had no idea. He was sleeping under a bridge when he could have been in a, in a penthouse sipping champagne because he had no idea who he was, what he had. He had no idea he was secured by riches beyond comprehension. And so he lived under a bridge alone because he didn't know who he was or what he had coming. Friends, I want to wrap up with an idea. Let's choose not to be practical atheists this week as we follow the true gospel. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget. The gospel says you're not only forgiven, but justified, not just freed, but rewarded with everlasting riches and glory because of him. See, any gospel that says it's Jesus plus something is really a dead end. And if you think you must be a good person in order to be pleasing to God, then you aren't serving a God out of love and out of gratitude, but in order to try to convince this God that you're good enough. And you know what's going to happen if you live that way? You're going to live a life of guilt and disappointment and frustration and anger whenever you fail. Because you can never be good enough. You can never add enough religiosity to your resume to impress God. So stop trying. Or what's going to happen if you live this way? That you'll think yourself a good person and you'll be prideful because you think you've done a pretty good job at meeting all of God's expectations. See, but what happens when you realize you can never meet his expectations and it's all grace through faith. Oh, then you rest and you relish in the goodness. Don't forget who you are. Don't be a practical atheist who knows all the right things but doesn't know how to live in line with the gospel. See, the true gospel frees you from looking down on others as well as freeing you from despairing over your own disappointments. That's the true gospel. The true gospel keeps you from being arrogant because you see the depths of your own sin. But it also keeps you from being in despair over your sin because you can see the depths of his love and grace. You see the true gospel, what it does? It points you to right thinking and right action. See, all of your obedience isn't to earn God's favor because you already have God's favor. You already have it. Relish in it. Soak in it. Live in it. You already have God's loving gaze on you. And so live like it. Don't be a practical atheist. Don't live in fear. You already have God's loving gaze on you. He's the only one. As verse 20 says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, Lord, may that sink in. See, the practical atheist in us lives as if we aren't secure in God's love, but we have the reality as this incredible treasure of having a new identity in Christ, which means we don't have to choose despair about money or marital status or health or career because our ultimate security rests in God. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You can live courageously today no matter what you face, and we are facing many things but we also can know that God has not abandoned us. 
You can live everyday life to be in line with the gospel of grace, which pronounces your secure identity as one loved by God, even amidst your doubts, your fears, discomforts. It's not like God turns his gaze away from you, like, oh, you're doubting and you're fearful and he turns away. No, you bring all that to him. Oh, all the struggles with prayer, all the struggles with division in our world, you bring it right to him. Say, Lord, oh, I need you. He says, come near my child. Hear his voice. Come near. So with Jesus in you, you take a risk for the sake of the gospel. You face those fears. You relish in the reality that you are justified, not just forgiven, but rewarded with the reality of your place in God's family. Oh, friends, I don't know what the Spirit is saying to you, but I'm hoping you will relish in the reality of who you are in Christ. Relish in the reality you are justified. Let's pray. Jesus, we know there are so many things in this life that are trying to cause us to fear, a fear of human beings, a fear of not being accepted, fear of, of the unknown. Oh Lord, fear of not being in control. And so we bring all of these things as we relish in the reality of our place in you, as we'll even look at future chapters of Galatians that emphasize this even more, but we do belong to you. The reality of our standing with you is that we are not just forgiven. We've been justified. Oh, we have new life in Christ. We have your resume. Oh, Lord, help us to not only relish in it, but live it out because of that reality, living in a response to our security in you. Lord, do your work for these people sitting right here in the patio, for all these people at home who are hearing this message. Oh, Lord, may hope fill their hearts right now because of you, King Jesus. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.